0: If you couldn't preach after that, you ought to fire me. That was awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you know, if John, the Apostle John, we're in the book of Revelation, if Apostle John would have been here, he'd have said, that was phenomenal. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm trying to say. Please grasp this, John would say. That's exactly what I'm trying to say. We're not home yet. Right now, there's doom and despair. I mean, this couldn't be more of a relevant series in what's going to happen next. Obviously, when I woke up yesterday or the day before and realized again, bomb Syria, we've been wondering about what's going to happen in North Korea. Then that seemed to go away. And then we wonder, are we going to get into a war with China? And then that seemed to go away. And now we wonder, are we going to get into a war in the Middle East? Oh, we've been in one of those for two and a half thousand years. But what's going to happen next? I mean, I feel like I'm living the end of Matthew, right? You're the end of Jesus' ministry. He said, look, you're going to hear a lot about end times. You're going to hear a lot about things that are going to happen. There's going to be kingdom rise against kingdom and nation against nation. I just want you to know that's not the end yet. And then he talks about the future, and John would have said the same thing. Look, there's a lot going on. There's a lot of uncertainty, a lot you wonder about. There's, to be honest with you, a lot I wonder about, but I do know one thing for sure. Jesus is our rock. He is the one we're holding on to. He is the one that's got it all under control, and he is the one we trust. We're not home yet, man, when we get there, it's going to be unbelievable. A lot in your books, and make sure you read every single one of those inserts. They're all important, or we wouldn't have them there, but there are a lot, so obviously you've got to read them. There's one that contains, never mind, I've done that before. As I say, there's one that contains a gift certificate for Red Lobster, but I've done that before and you're not going <laughs> to look anyhow, you're going to read them anymore kind of a thing. Hey, I do, do want you to know this just so you're not wondering what on earth is going on here. Ever since we opened this facility, 2009, we said to the community, use it. God has blessed us with it. Use it in any way you can. And so this particular week, on a few days this week, Pennsylvania State Police are going to have a major training exercise here on our campus. So when you drive by and see helicopters and horses and all of those things, <laughs> I don't want you to wonder, what did Denny do now? <laughs> okay, so we, I'd rather tell you that. They gave me the permission, we don't. We're, it's not being publicized, but the uh, major called me on uh, Thursday, he said, make sure you at least tell your congregation Sunday morning so they won't wonder what on earth is going on? Especially in the light of the series we're in, The End of the World, and then you drive by and are we in one now? That's what you're going to wonder. Hey, you've got sermon notes in your bulletin. Make sure you take them out. We're going to walk through them together. I didn't have any last Sunday morning. you probably get a, a few every other week, depending on the context of what we want to share. We began a study in the book of Revelation by laying some foundation that we're going to build on. and. Today we're going to do the same, if indeed all you ever study Revelation 4 is to try to figure things out, to try to wonder when is it going to take place, what do all these symbols mean, you're going to be a little bit disappointed in this series, especially today because John has some incredible things to teach us, and if we only get preoccupied with the end or trying to figure it out, you'll miss some incredible truth. Everything we sang about this morning, I don't know how Dave does it, powered by the Spirit of God, everything we sang about this morning applies to this message. This book is the unveiling of Christ, written by John to Christians who are living in very difficult and uncertain times. Does that sound relevant or not? It is the unveiling. It reveals the character of Jesus and invites us into an opportunity to worship Him. Now, we've been doing it for over 2,000 years, but every single time... You read a book like this, it kind of whets your appetite for wanting just to express to Jesus your love and adoration, because John describes him in incredibly powerful ways. He shares his heart and concern with his fellow believers. You're going to see a John that's very sensitive to the Spirit. I don't think you're seeing a John here that you may have seen in some of the other books. He's at least now not describing himself as Jesus' favorite. This is a more mature John, one who's sharing an unpopular message, and he's really not afraid to do it. Isn't it interesting how maturity helps us mature, or at least it's supposed to, right? The older you get, the better you get, right? How many have found that true by, your, by watching your parents? <laughs> don't do that. No, don't raise your hand. But isn't that what's supposed to happen? The older we get, the more mature we get, the better we're supposed to be. Now, you know as well as I do, we get bitter or better. But John, I I, I love the fact that in this context here, it's not that I beat Peter, I'm Jesus' favorite. This is a John who now is head over heels in love with God, incredibly powerful relationship with Jesus, deeply loves the people he's writing to. And wants to help them understand what they need to know. Churches in Asia Minor are at a crossroads. Either they're going to be impacted by persecution, which they already many times are, and to stay solid. Or they're going to be tempted to compromise their values and standards. That's relevant too. Now we may not necessarily get persecuted. Now in a lot of ways Christians are under the microscope. Certainly, there is a lot we used to be able to do or have the freedom to do that we're no longer allowed to do. And if you watch the news enough, you'll know that Christians seem to be having a lot of their freedoms diminished. And certainly, a lot of that is taking place. So, we may be getting persecuted, but in a very different way. But we are being challenged to compromise our values. Revelation reminds us that no matter how difficult things get, God is still in control and he'll conclude history exactly the way he wants it to and exactly the way he promised that he would. Last week we talked about all the wrong predictions that have been going on for hundreds and thousands of years. God knew that would happen. And so 2,000 years ago, he prompted Peter to write these words. Look, you need to understand that the last days scoffers are going to come. They're going to follow their own desires. They're going to say, okay, where is the promise coming? Where is that coming that he promised? Right now, I'm sure you've wondered the same. Certainly pastors have been preaching on it for 50, 100, or 200 years. Jesus knew that. Peter knew that. God knew that. And he said, look, I just need you to know that's going to happen. There's a lot of people who are going to say, okay, you said he's coming back. When is it going to? Even our ancestors died. Everything is on as it has from the beginning. But they deliberately forget that by God's word, and the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world at that time was deluged and destroyed, the flood of Noah. By the same word, the present heavens and the present earth are being reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Now, when I was in the 50s and 60s growing up, a lot of people, when nuclear explosions and nuclear war and certainly uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki happened and all of a sudden technology changed so dramatic, I had literally history teachers, not pastors, but history teachers saying, okay, the power of hydrogen bombs and the, the, the magnitude of those literally could split the earth in half. Remember that from high school? How many remember that? How many remember high school? And then, and then pastors picked up on that, and they would read verses like this, and we're all living in the 60s and 70s, and, and, and after 45, and we all see the, the power and destruction of that, and we're in the middle of the Cold War, and we recognize we're building a nuclear arsenal, and so is Russia, and, and we all wonder, okay, what's going to happen? All of this stuff, we, I remember from school that there was so much power, it could literally push the earth in half. Maybe that's what he's talking about. Don't forget this one thing with the Lord. A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord's not slow in keeping his promise. Some of you understand slowness. He's patient with you. He doesn't want anybody to perish, which goes along with the whole context of the gospel. Take this word to the end of the earth. He wants everyone to come to repentance. But that day the Lord will come. Heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Now, Since everything will be destroyed in that way... What kind of people ought we to be? He could write that to them. He could write that to us. In light of what we know, in light of the uncertainty of the world around us, what kind of people ought we to be? We ought to live holy and godly lives. I think Revelation is also a challenge to people who are afraid to share their faith while others are dying as a result of sharing their faith. There are people still dying for their faith while some are afraid to even have a spiritual conversation. There are some people dying for their faith and others sitting in churches all across the world who are afraid to even start a spiritual conversation. Do you ever have a friend move or a friend pass away and all of a sudden you came to realize, I have never, ever had a spiritual conversation with them? They lived near me, they worked near me, we were friends, we were relatives, whatever it may be, and now all of a sudden they're gone, and I've known Jesus for a long period of time, and and I don't remember if I've ever had a spiritual conversation with them. Especially for those of us who know Jesus, and know that Christ is the answer. And to be able to look at life, or look at someone passing away, or someone that you're close to, and realizing, I've never had a spiritual conversation with them. I don't know... How many times do you think I've done funerals when I've asked them, is your mom, dad, friend, whatever, a believer? And I'm not sure. Now, I'm not saying a brand-new believer I'm asking that question of. I'm talking to lifelong believers who realize and recognize I've never had a spiritual conversation with someone. And here we are having people in this context who are dying for their faith because they're sharing their faith. So certainly this is a challenge to us and to them. Revelation speaks to churches who are alive and dead, and to be honest with you, I think more churches are in danger of compromising with the world than they are of dying from it. Now, anytime you study Scripture, you always want to understand the context. Sometimes there's a gap between what the sender is sending and the receiver is receiving. That gap can cause misunderstanding and, and misinterpretation. Remember last Sunday I talked to you about mailing a letter, and sometimes by the time if you any of you still do that, we, we mail a letter and share a lot of information, and by the time that person gets it, depending on where you're mailing it to or if they got lost in the mail, you receive. I had literally, I sent a lot of anniversary cards to people. If you're 40 and up, if you've gotten one from me, we, we, I've got a list, and i love to send you a note, especially for those who have been married that long, faithful to one another, committed to each other, and all those kind of things. I had a couple come to me two weeks ago and said, thank you so much for the card for our 50th. We just got it this week, and our 50th was last year. And I felt bad. I thought, well, somehow I missed it. And we looked at the when I sent it, and I literally sent it last year. They're now on their 51st, praise God. So sometimes there's a gap between one or the other. How many of you have had a misunderstanding when you sent an email or a text and and they misread what you were saying? It's in black and white. You know, it's in English. But somehow misinterpreted, misunderstood what you said or the intention i got to put emojis all over them so they know I'm at least having fun with this statement if it's so hard for them to receive, or at least a smiley face. I Believe it or not, I figured out how to do emojis. <laughs> I'm not sure why they're called emojis. I'm not even sure what it is, but I know where they are in my fun. You know, just so, but how many times have you sent a note or sent a text or an email, and they've misunderstood what you said, and it couldn't have been more clearer? but they thought you were angry or they thought you were mad or they thought you misunderstood. How many times have you had a normal conversation with someone and you said to them, this is what I meant by what I said? And it was still in English. you know? So it was in words they could have understood or processed, but they misunderstood or misinterpreted what it is you were trying to get. We're looking at verses that have been written 2,000 years ago. And there's a huge gap between when it was written and when we're reading it. Doesn't mean we can't close it, it just simply means it's going to take a lot of work. But a lot of it depends on the context and how we hear it, what we read, and what we think we think he's trying to say. Let me give you an example. You may have heard this one before. Now imagine you're reading a newspaper, not the Butler where you go, I live, I, re- I get it every day. I read it all the time. I was in Countersport for 10 years before we moved here and we got one a week. And my kid, it was a Potter em- Enterprise, and the kids called it the Potter Empty Prize. I mean, the world could have exploded. There's a picture of a deer or a fish on the front of the <laughs> newspaper. <And> I'm going, <laughs> there is nothing going on in the world beyond Potter County. But, so you're, you're not reading Eagle. You're reading the Chicago Sun-Times. Okay? And, and not this week. It's years ago, but you're reading the sports section. okay? And, and this is a story you read. The mighty bulls that once ruled the earth have taken a mighty fall. The great right horn, who was number 23, has departed. The left horn has gone as well, who had many painted and pierced parts and at times dressed like a woman. The ravenous wolves from the north and the hornets from the south and all the other beasts have devoured the flesh of the bull. How many of you understand that story? All right, quite a few of you. Who is it about? huh? Chicago Bulls. Who's the main characters? Michael Jordan and Dennis Rodman, right? All Pierce's and all this kind of stuff. But when you read it, and that's how they wrote it, if you read it like that, you're going, what? Especially if you weren't there, you had no context of it, you have no concept of it, or 30 years from now, somebody reads that and goes, who? It's all about basketball in that context. Years from now, it wouldn't make sense. Years from then, it wouldn't make sense. That's historical context. And if you don't understand the context, you may not understand the story. Now, when I read Revelation, when we go through Revelation, we're going to do a flyover, okay? We're not going to do it from 33,000 feet. We're going to get pretty low. You're going to see the terrain, the topography. You're going to see the river going through it. You're going to see some of the things. But you just need to know, as we continue to go down... Keep going down. As you continue to go down, we're not going house to house. So we're not driving down every street, analyzing every detail of it. So I'd rather set the stage now so that you're not disappointed by saying, I I wanted to know exactly what that word meant. All right, we're doing a flyover. I want you to understand that. You also need to understand a little bit about John. And that's what I want to share with you this morning, because this is a, a, a great character and some really valuable lessons that we need to learn. This is a guy who really has some things that he wants to share. He's now near the end of his life. He knows he probably won't get off this island. He's got people that he loves, a God he adores, a God he has given his life to, and people that he's really concerned about. So he writes as a theologian, he writes as a pastor, and certainly he writes as a poet. There's one great line in Eugene Peterson's book, Reverse Thunder, who says... He's going to discuss profound truth and do it in ways that powerfully use word to describe what he sees. Poets don't just give information. Textbook do that. They ignite the imagination. And that's what John is trying to do. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering, verse 9. Patient endurance that are ours on Jesus. I'm on the island of Patmos. Because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, as in the spirit, I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. It said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. And he names them. I turned around and I saw the voice that was speaking to me. And and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and a golden sash around his chest. His head and hair were like wool. White as snow, his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet was like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. Out of his mouth came a double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I am the first and the last, the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys to death and hell, or Hades. Write, therefore, in light of everything I have just said, I want you to write what you have seen, what is now, and what's going to take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angel of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. One of the first things in your notes that you notice about this text is that God is not only revealing himself to the churches, but revealing himself to John. John, by this time in his life, is an old, worn-out, battle-weary soldier of Christ. And maybe, just maybe, he needed a reminder that he was still valuable. Needed a reminder that he was still valuable to Jesus in the kingdom. I don't know if you ever have been there, but I'm there at times. At this stage of my life, at this stage of my career, every once in a while, you just need to have a reminder that you still have value to the kingdom. And you have some unbelievable value to Jesus. And for those of us who have been on this road for a long period of time, and for those of you who are following Jesus, have been following Jesus, and somehow you feel like time and life and ministry and church maybe has passed you by, take heart from John. Here's a guy in his 80s and 90s, and God says to him and reveals to him some of the absolute most incredible things ever, ever recorded in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I love the fact that John, this battle-weary, worn-out soldier, has this incredible story. When I look at an audience like ours, and especially now that I've been here this long, I, I know a lot of people have served Jesus so wonderfully faithfully. And now maybe others are involved in that ministry and you're sitting here and you wonder, what value do I have or what can I do next? Some of you are still actively involved, and I love that. I love, we've got Judy McDonald who's been teaching Pioneer Girls for 50 years, and it's still going. We're going to have a video that we're going to do with her, about her in a, in a few weeks. There's just all those kinds of things that I see in this section of Scripture, and, and I love that. Every once in a while, no matter where you're at in your journey of life, a lot of times we just need a, a real fresh glimpse of Jesus. And so when you do, put yourself in John's place and say, wow, okay, That's, I needed that. I needed that. Patmos was a rocky prison island a long way from home and certainly a long way from the people John loved. Most likely, he himself was alone. There's a lot of times in your notes where in those darkest hours that God reveals himself in some of the most wonderful and sometimes most powerful ways. Patmos for us can be a place that seems to hold a lot of questions, but only a few answers. And most of us at some point in our life will be on the island of Patmos. Maybe not obviously the literal island, but a time in life when we're disappointed, we're just wondering, or we want to know why. A time when things didn't go as planned. Maybe it's sickness, maybe divorce, maybe betrayal, a death of a friend. A, Death of a family member, a child going through a crisis. I got an email last night. I've got a pastor friend that I absolutely love and adore. And uh, they lost their grandchild yesterday. And you just don't know what to say. And I know he loves Jesus down to his soul. And, and both he and Faye do. But just that walking through that and wondering, God, I don't understand. I have so many wonderful prayers I certainly would never want to share publicly with people on Easter Sunday who maybe didn't have that kind of testimony but just wanted to see God do something in their life because they're at a really struggling point. And when I look at a section of Scripture like that, I realize we're all, at some point or the other, going to be in those moments of life when we do wonder what's next and where's it going to go. Most people believe that John never got off that island. And maybe you won't yours. Maybe you will. But whether you do or you don't, I want to give you some advice that we can learn from John. Put yourself in a place where God can speak. Whatever you think, whatever you wonder about, whatever questions you may have, my encouragement to you is to do what John did. Put yourself in a place where God can speak. Look at what he says in verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit your notes, don't allow your circumstances to get in the way of allowing God to reveal Himself in Christ through His Spirit. Don't allow your circumstances to get in the way of allowing God to reveal Himself. Sometimes we get angry, sometimes we get frustrated with God, and maybe if we're not careful, we tune out His voice. I've heard it said, I'm sure you did as well. Well, I used to go to church, but then something happened and they'll describe it and, And we don't go anymore. And the longer you're away, the more difficult it is to get back into it again. What I love about John, this old, weary, lonely, exiled, could have walked away from God, could have wondered, really? This is where I end up? This is how I'm going to end up? He could have wondered all of that. What I love about John, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I was in the right place whether he spoke or not. I'm going to church. No matter how hard or how crazy the week has been, I- I'm going to be with the Lord. I'm not going to let my circumstances dictate how I feel or how I respond to life. And look what happened to John. Maybe when he least expected of all days, Jesus came and revealed himself in ways that John couldn't believe. I turned and saw the voice speaking to me, and then he describes it all the way through. And I love that section of Scripture in those moments when we have more questions than we have answers. Just be in that place where God, I would love to hear your voice right now, because it's been a while, but being in that place where God can speak, whether through music, I love what we do on Sunday morning. I mean, I, I love what we do, every one of those songs, but that last one, dude, that, I could have gone to heaven right there. Notice that in this section of Scripture, Jesus also is standing among the lampstands, which represent the churches. And not just great churches. You're going to see that five out of these seven churches had some major issues. I mean, these are some of these are churches y'all left to come to another church. And what, what's fascinating about here, Jesus is right in the middle of these churches, right here. He didn't just finish his work on the cross, go to heaven, and say, "Hope you can figure this out." He gave a charge to his disciples. Take this gospel everywhere you go to the end of the earth. Hope it works. Hope you figure it out. I'll See you when you get to heaven. Not at all. Right there in the middle of the church. Right there in the middle of any problem. The garb he has on. Remember when John described the garb that he had on? It's both the garb of a king and a priest. And I tied that in in in, in my notes. I don't know if I wrote it in yours. If not, write it. Yeah, I did. Hebrews chapter 4. Look, since we have such a great high priest who's gone to heaven, Jesus Christ, the son of gold, hold firmly to what we profess. We don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness. We've got one who's been tempted in every way just like us, yet without without sin. So let us approach the throne of grace with confidence. One version says boldness so that we'll receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. We don't have a God who's out there somewhere who just hopes we figure it out. We don't have a God who won't walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death. We don't have a God who says, I hope. We have a God who says, I know. I know where you're at. I know what you're going through. had a wedding yesterday, a conversation with a Sweet lady who's going through really deep waters and a funeral of tomorrow. And it's just such a, a fascinating thing to know in the middle of joy, in the middle of underst- wondering, and in the middle of sorrow. He's in it all. In every circumstance, every situation, he's right there. You may not always see it, you may not get a vision like John. So, John wrote it down so you could read his vision and just get a glimpse of Jesus. In an incredible way. He goes on to describe what he sees. And, and again in your notes. The point of the description is not just that we see his physical characteristics. The point of the description is not so that we just see his characteristics. But we see his power. Called the Ancient of Days. He speaks of wisdom. He sees the future in your notes. He knows that our problems do not have the power to define our identity or determine our destiny. Our problems do not have the power, and you can't let them have that power. They do not have the power to define our identity or determine our destiny. And every single one of the people that stood up here on Easter Sunday were just a small representation of the truth of that. He knows our pain. He knows our future. He knows there's a future beyond our wildest imagination. I don't know if you've ever had a time in your life when things looked dark and all you saw was the problem in front of you and God bless you with a dad or a mom or a friend or a pastor, someone who helped you back up enough to instead of see the problem, see a bigger picture. That is exactly what God does for John. In the early 70s, my dad had a heart attack, he was 40 some years old. I was in college studying to go into ministry and be a missionary and that's all I'd ever wanted, that's all I ever knew God wanted me to do and to be Went home, saw this strong, powerful man wired up like you couldn't believe. So just that in and of itself for a young kid and now going into ministry, I've seen it a thousand times, wondering what's going to happen next. And God miraculously brought him out of that. And so I went to him one day and said, Dad, I'm, I'm going to quit school. I'll, I'll be a farmer. I'll stay here. You can't do this. I'll, I'll stay here and, and I'll, I'll not do that. I'll do this. And he said, there is no way on this planet that you will do that. God called you. You know it. I know it. You go right back to college. This farm was here when I came. It'll be here when I go. Either way, it doesn't matter. You go right back, and you preach the gospel. Now, here I am 40 years later, looking at all of that, wondering, what would have happened if I didn't? If I let that circumstance and that situation to change the course of my life, do I trust God? Absolutely. But what would have happened if I'd only seen that and not listened to his advice and had the opportunity to do what I've been doing for the last 40 years? Eyes of fire that have a penetrating effect, a way of looking at us. And you know this, but sometimes we need to be reminded, Christ doesn't just look at us He looks into us. That's why David could say, search me, O God, look inside. Man, if there's any offensive way, if there's anything I'm doing that's not pleasing to you in Psalm 139, it's in your notes, let me know. When God looks at us that deep in your notes, we may feel like running. But allowing him to do his work of cleaning and cleansing could be the freshest you've ever felt because there's nothing to hide. He sees it all, he understands, and he still loves me and receives me and calls me his son or his daughter. His feet are like burnished bronze, which is, uh, the whole section is reminiscent back to Daniel's dream of Nebuchadnezzar. In that case, he had feet of clay on Christ, his solid rock I stand, everything else is sinking sand. His voice, is power. John also sees that he's the one He is the one that holds the keys to life and death. Nobody else does. So if you've had an island of disappointment, you've had an island of, of despair, you've had times in your life when you just don't understand, you need to maybe every once in a while hear God in his incredible way simply say to you, hold on. Hold on for just a short while because there's coming a day when I'll wipe away every tear from your eye and there's no more pain, no more dying, no more. I will make everything new. If you only read John for a glimpse of some of those nuances that everybody's been struggling with for the last 2,000 years to try to figure out, you'll miss some incredible things that he wants to teach us about himself and the Jesus that revealed himself in amazing ways. God, I, I I couldn't thank you enough for your word for the power that it holds for what it says and how you reveal yourself to this old worn out guy who loves you has served you and now maybe is wondering what the future holds. I got to believe that there are a few of us here in this audience this morning who maybe are in similar situations. Physically our bodies aren't what they used to be. Relationally We've lost a lot of people that we loved, our mates. Our ministry has kind of passed us by, and we're trying to figure out now where I fit. So, God, I, I just ask in a really wonderful way that you will speak to them as well. Right where they're at, right in the middle of those questions. Father, we thank you again for your glory and grace, for what you reveal of yourself to us, to John, and to the church as we continue to explore and unpack it, speak to us in really powerful and profound ways. In the name of Jesus, I pray. If you are one of those that need to be prayed for this morning, I know a couple have already contacted me before the service and said, I just need prayer, physically, emotionally, whatever that may be. I'd love to do that for you in any way possible. Next Sunday morning, we're going to continue on to chapter 2. But you can't miss the power of chapter 1 to get there well. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you next Sunday.